Today we're going to be completing our sermon series entitled Invisible, Invisible, the series on spiritual warfare. If anyone at this point doubts that we are at war, just read the news, watch news reports, different channels telling the same news from different worldviews and values. It appears to us that it's political, political wars, wars of ideas or culture wars, value wars, wars over traditional marriage or abortion or women's rights or sexual identity or socialism versus capitalism, immigration or gun rights. And even though this war works its way out in the realm of ideas, politics, values, and rights, the real battle is in the invisible. The real battle is in the invisible. It's the invisible war, a spiritual war. Ephesians 6.12 says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. 1 Peter 5.8 says, Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a lion looking for someone to devour. There is a war. We have an opponent, the devil or Satan. And I've reminded us over and over again that <clears throat> God is all-powerful. God is sovereign. But Satan has an obvious influence and powerful presence in our world today. I've attempted to help us understand what, what God allows Satan to do. What are the indications of his activity, his spiritual attacks? How do we know then it's the devil that's responsible for these attacks? And what are our weapons of warfare? How do we fight? How do we fight this back? What do we have in our arsenal to fight in the heavenly realm? Some people deny that Satan has any power at all, or they try to minimize his role in history and the affairs of people. And the Bible does teach us to, and please get this, to worship God. Worship God, but we are also supposed to be aware of Satan. These six sermons that I preached have been on this very relevant, important to topic. And again, if you missed any of the messages, um, any, any of these messages these Sundays, uh, please go online on our website. You can listen to them. Just go on ecwesleyan.net. You can listen to them. If you're listening online today, if you need the notes or you want to listen, uh, you can email the church office, office at ecwesleyan.net, and you can ask for them to be mailed or emailed to you. And uh, for those of you here this morning, the notes are filled out in the back on the way out if you want to get the, the sermon notes as you leave today. As we complete this series on spiritual warfare, again, I want you to be warned. Be warned. Because as we learn and we practice our God-given authority and our God-given responsibilities, the enemy is going to become angry and he will attack you personally. Just count on it. Count on it. As we become engaged in a battle, he will attack us. No, no doubt about it. Today we're going to look at rules of engagement. Ephesians 6, and I'd like you to turn with me to Ephesians 6. We're going to read verses 10 to 18. It's on page 950, if you're following in the Bible in the rack in front of you. Ephesians 6, we're going to read 10 through 18 as we complete our series today. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. 
For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you've done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist and the breastplate of righteousness in place and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith which, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit which is the word of God and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. We start today with our struggle. Our struggle. Roman numeral one. We're in the middle of the struggle, and he says, finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Be strong isn't an option. Be strong is a command. It's a command that we're given. He says, be strong. We're commanded to be strong. And there are two qualifiers. The first one is in the Lord, and the other word is in his mighty power. I'm getting just a little bit of feedback. In the Lord and in his mighty power. So the, the, word, the word and the command to be strong has a power source, and that power source is God. In other words, depend on God's power, his mighty power. It's his strength. And then, then Paul uses the word struggle. Now, this is something that every one of us experience, the word struggle. The word struggle comes from the root word to wrestle, to wrestle. How many of you participated in wrestling in school or some other context? Okay, wrestling, how many judo, something where you had, okay, close contact where you, you are fighting an opponent in close quarters, Okay, there we go. Yeah, there, it's, it's, a, it's a struggle. It's a wrestling that we have. Wrestling is a hands-on contest between two opponents until one wins. And as such, wrestling is very personal. It's very personal. You know, you can, you can play some of the other sports and you can kind of maintain distance. Wrestling is very personal, very personal. It's a, it's a personal fight, one-on-one. -on -one. It's not a group fight. It's one-on-one. -on -one. And every one of us is in a wrestling match, a struggle against an opponent. And it's great to know I'm not the only one. It's personal. It's universal. It's common to every one of us. It's also, not only is it personal that we also have, but it's also spiritual. Spiritual, letter B. The, the word against is used five times in verse 12. In verse 12 alone. Against is used five times. It's not against flesh and blood, not against the visible, not against what we can see. It's important to know what we're not fighting, what we're not fighting. Even, even all the evil that we see around us is just ex the external manifestation of an inner evil, inner evil. We cannot fight spiritual battles with flesh and blood weapons. Something we try to do all the time. Now, I have a, I have a very good friend his name is David Mortimer. He and I worked together to confront and combat the, the counseling censorship ordinance that passed last fall by the Eau Claire City Council. It's conversion therapy prohibition. And, and we are doing what we can to fight it in the 
physical realm through the governmental structures and those kinds of things. And I ran, I ran into David last week outside of Phoenix Park, and he had just come from praying outside of the Planned Parenthood abortion clinic. Now, it's interesting, he's been engaged in activity and activism in fighting abortion tangibly, but he was praying. See, he was praying, understanding and recognizing that the battle is not in the, in the physical realm, it's in the spiritual realm. So he was praying outside the Planned Parenthood clinic. And he joins others once a week to pray outside the clinic. In other words, he's actively engaged in, in activism and some of those things, but he also understands and comprehends that the battle is in the heavenlies and it's prayer that's going to do the most good. Prayer. We can and ought to call attention to evil by, by different methods, whether it's uh, picketing or legislating or negotiating, whatever. All of those things are part of our constitutionally protected free expressions of free speech. And we're given those rights in this country. Not every country has that. We have that right. But recognize no matter what our activity is in fighting evils, that the real battle is in the spiritual. And prayer must be our weapon of choice. The weapons must match the battle. We cannot successfully fight same-sex marriage in the flesh and blood, abortion or sex trafficking in the physical realm alone. There is a place for action in the physical, political, idea, educational realms, but the battle is not against flesh and blood. The, the weapons must match the battle. It appears that our battle is physical, lust, anger, gossip, bitterness, pride, but it's really in the spiritual that's why when I, when I talk to couples who are in marital conflict, I let them know that the battle is primarily in the spiritual, spiritual nature. Ma marriages are deeply handicapped if people don't have Jesus Christ in their life because the root causes of conflict, whether it's in marriage or other relationships, are always spiritual in nature. And both spouses must understand and work on the spiritual nature in order for marriages to work. See, our, our struggle is personal, it's spiritual, and thirdly, let us see, it's also to the death. To the, it sounds final. To the death. Now, when we have a wrestling match, those of you that wrestled, and I did a little bit in junior high, don't, don't take me on now, you just, you kill me. Wrestlers are really tough to deal with, those that are wrestlers. Anyway, when we have a wrestling match, we get points for a takedown, a, a reverse, a, an escape, a near pin, and win completely if we pin our opponent. And at the end of a designated time period, one wins and one loses. And everybody goes home. It's over. This spiritual struggle that we're talking about is to the death. It's to the death. Our opponent, Satan, will not give up or quit fighting until he takes us out. And this struggle, this wrestling match, goes literally our entire life until we die spiritually or we get to the end of our life physically and our struggle is over. This battle is going to happen our entire life. It's to the death. A real life struggle. And we all have it. It's a struggle. It's a battle goes on. So who are the opponents? Who are we fighting? Who are the opponents? Paul uses several terms to describe our opponents, the devil and his demons. 
And most probably, these have to do with the locus or the location of their influence. The first word he uses is rulers, rulers. The rulers of this world, the name for the devil and his fallen angels. So when it talks about the rulers, they're the devil and the fallen angels. In Job 1, 7, it says, the Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord from roaming through the earth and going back and forth in it. Okay? Satan is alive and well on earth. He's active on earth. God works through people, and Satan works through people. Rulers. Ruling has to do with exerting opinion or will over other people. And Satan gets access to the earth by exerting opinion or, or his influence over leaders who rule. Any institution where decisions are made, Satan will seek to infiltrate or he'll seek to take over. He'll try to influence a national government, our national government, state government, county, schools, and families. But he can only exert his influence through people who allow him influence and control. Now we see people who are seemingly really controlled by Satan. We think about world leaders like, like uh, Kim Jong-un in, in North Korea who persecutes Christians. He's the epitome of evil, has total control and subjugation of his entire populations and will just kill people no matter what. There's this epitome of evil. Satan can rule and reign there because he's taking control of that man. Mass murder, mass incarceration. And rulers under satanic influence are not hard to find today. They're not hard to find. Whether it's ISIS or the Taliban, rulers in Russia and China and Venezuela, rulers under satanic influence. This is, these are godless, corrupt decision-making through wrong and selfish choices by men and women. Now, if institutions function properly, Satan cannot rule. There's no authority or submission to authority. If there's no submission to authority, then Satan can rule. Dean Sherman writes this. He says, the degree to which these institutions break down is the degree to which he, Satan, governs. It's easy to understand why marriages, families, churches, and schools are under such vicious attacks today. Now, there are three ways, I just want to break this down a little bit. Stay with me. Three ways these institutions break down in the area of ruling. The first is, number one, godless leadership. Godless leadership. These leaders give in to satanic influence in the absence of God and godliness and righteousness. And we see this today. We see examples of this. You look at the governor of Virginia or... Bill Blasio, the mayor of New York City, who celebrates infanticide. They've given themselves over to satanic influence and evil. There's no other way to explain it. Godless leadership wreaks havoc, whether it's in government, whether it's schools, or it's in homes. Godless leadership. They're, they're celebrating and practicing a value system that's totally godless and satanic. Then there's neglect. Neglect, number two, leaders who don't lead, husbands who do not husband, parents who do not parent. If we neglect leadership, it leaves a vacuum to, lead, to rulers to influence and rule. That's what happens. 
read an article this week. Dr. Michael Brown, in an article called Operation Jezebel, how to thwart this spirits, this ancient spirit's plot to destroy America in charisma. And he writes this to the men of America. Men, listen, to the men of America. He says, our nation needs you. Our families need you. Our children need you. Our pulpits need you. A.W. Tozer said, yes, if evangelical Christianity is to stay alive, she must have men again. The right kind of men. She must repudiate the weaklings who dare not speak out. She must seek in prayer and much humility the coming again of men of the stuff prophets and martyrs are made of. Men taking the stand, not neglecting leadership, spiritual leadership in our homes and families. Neglect leaves a vacuum that will be filled with somebody. And the third way institutions break down is number three, is rebellion. Rebellion. Rebellion is a hard attitude that says, I don't need rules. Okay? Now, we all went through teen years, and there were times in our life we didn't need rules. Okay? This is a lifestyle. I don't need rules. I don't need leaders. I don't need anyone telling me what to do. Okay? It's the independence. It's, it's American independence. I'm just going to be independent. Well, rebellion is equated with witchcraft in 1 Samuel. It's equated with witchcraft. Why? Because rebellion allows Satan to enter in and influence. When we're in rebellion, Satan can influence us. Dean Sherman says rebellion and witchcraft accomplish the same thing in governmental structures and individual lives. They both do business directly with the powers of darkness. Rebellion. And we see examples of that. I mean, you look around and see rebellion and, break, and law breaking and, and uh, just going against the law, whatever that might be. We see it in our government where you have a governor, Gavin Newsom of California, who flaunts the laws and they, they set up uh, sanctuary cities totally in, in, in uh, flaunting the laws of this nation, this land. Our previous president selectively chose not to enforce certain laws. It's rebellion. Lawlessness and selective corruption that is in our nation today. And we see this big battle that's going on. One of the issues is that there's rebellion in our civic leaders and in our, our leadership of government. They refuse to follow laws. Rebellion puts them right in the power and place of the devil. So rulers, rulers, we see those kinds of things. The second opponent Paul names is the authorities. The authorities. Another word is powers. Powers. Satan is active in our society to the degree that people are sinning and living selfishly. He has exactly the amount of authority that we give him when we live in opposition to God. See, we, if we live in opposition to God, we play into his hand and allow him to influence us. Dean Sherman writes, a city or even a country can collectively give itself over to lusts or other sins because the, of the concentration of thousands of individual choices. Okay? Look at a city or an area. Thousands of individual choices in that place. A power assignment for those particular sins can be established. That's why you look at a particular city and you say that, that's the capital of pornography. Or San Francisco, the capital of sexual perversion. 
a city known for occultic activities like New Orleans or Las Vegas, a center of gambling or greed or addiction. Power assignments by spiritual authorities can make their way into families when families give themselves over to particular sins. When we give ourselves over to particular sins, whether it's a nation, whether it's a county, a city, Satan is given incredible influence and power. Even churches given over to one particular sin. And there are churches and, and groups of churches where there's immorality or pornography. It could be materialism in a church. It could be pride. It could be gossip, which, which is prevalent in many churches. Division or strife. There's authorities and there's powers. The third phrase that, is used, that he, Paul uses is the powers of this dark world. Who are our opponents? The, the powers of the dark world. Or you may have principalities. A prince is a leader with a title. A palate has to do with both geography and demography. Geography and, and demography. See, Satan is strategic in his deployment of his demonic forces. He targets certain demographics, certain people groups. And we see certain consistencies among certain people groups and geographic areas. He has plans for certain areas. Satan is strategic in how he puts his people out there or his demons out there. He has plans, plans for nations, regions, cities, precincts, neighborhoods. Just observe and look around. What sins or what kind of darkness or evil do you see in certain geographical areas and among certain people groups? It's not random and it's not accidental. When you see a concentration of murders in a, in a particular city, or you see concentration of sex trafficking in another city. You see certain things happening. Satan is strategic in how he distributes his powers so that he can do his work. And then there are letter D, the realms, the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. These are demons which are to be contrasted with the spiritual forces of good in the heavenly realms, which are God's angels, okay? God's angels. See, our struggle, our battle to the death is not against flesh and blood. Therefore, what are the rules of engagement? How do we fight this battle, okay? We, we have no trouble today seeing where all of this battle is happening. It may be called different things. It may be in different areas or whatever it is, but we all can see there's a huge battle. How do we fight these battles, these wars? Well, personally, this is a personal struggle. Verse 13, Paul says, therefore, in other words, he says, because of all this that is before, he says, put on the full armor of God. Put on the full armor of God. Now, put on is an action we take. It's an action we take. Now, very fundamentally, we know that getting dressed doesn't just happen, okay? It's an action we take every day. In fact, those of you with children realize you had to teach your children how to get dressed. You had to teach them how to uh, put their shoes on, different things. In fact, maybe even how to tie their shoe. How many of you remember when you learned how to tie a shoe? Remember? Come on. Remember? It, wasn't that traumatic for some of you? Okay. It was <laughs> Now we have Velcro, I know, it, it, it doesn't matter. But tying your shoes, there, there takes an intentionality to get dressed in the morning. You don't just get up and your clothes go on. You have to actually get dressed. It's an action we take every day, it's a discipline. 
Well, when the day of evil comes, and the day of evil is here, God says, get dressed. Take action. Put on your battle gear. Put on your battle gear. If you, if you remember the Iraq war when the, there was a threat of chemical weapons and troops put on their chemical protection suits every day. If you look at law enforcement, they, they, depending on the situation, they put on their bulletproof vests or their helmets or riot gear. They put on their armor so that when they are attacked, they can be protected and stand their ground. Our battle is different, but it's the same. Our armor is different, but the same. What is our armor? How do, how do we protect ourselves? What do we clothe ourselves with every single day? Remember, this is an intentional thing that every one of us has to do every day. First, first part of our armor is truth. Truth, that's our belt, the belt of truth, the belt on which all other armor rests. This is a realm of idea. This is the battleground for the mind. That's why there's such a huge battle today for truth. And, and truth must be based on facts, not feelings. And you know this is a huge battleground today. Not feelings. Truths like gender. Gender. Truth, fact, and science tells us we are male and female. There are two op options determined at birth. Well, if you can get rid of that truth, what kind of nonsense do we get into? That's true. That's a foundational truth. Sexual identity. Truth, fact, and science tells us that there is no such thing as, and, and listen to this, there's no such thing as sexual orientation. There's only gender. Okay, I, some of you are going to be shocked. You may not have heard this before. There is no such thing as sexual orientation. There's only gender. Sexual orientation is a relatively recent construct to justify perverted behavior so that I can say, I was made this way. That Because I'm made this way, that's why. No, there's gender. There's male and female. Now, there is sin orientation. Sexual orientation is a recent construct to justify behavior. Sin orientation is something we all have, okay? That's why you can't stand up and judge and, and point at people and say, you're this, you're that. We all have sin orientation. All of sin and fall short of the glory of God. Whether that sin orientation is gossip or pride or homosexuality or lust or whatever it might be, we all have sin orientation. That's why Jesus came to forgive us our sins. But if we take one of those sins, any number of those sins, and say, we're going to make that something that, that it's because I, I am who I am, and therefore I'm going to justify it, then it, it, it undermines all truth and all righteousness, undermines everything. That's why this, this lie of sexual orientation is so devastating. And we've been, we just bought into it. It's just like fact. You just say it. We just talk about it. No, sin orientation, yes, we were all born in sin. We are all sinners. Now, how that is expressed is our weakness. And we can't stand in pride and say, I don't have it. No, we all have it. But we can't justify any one of those sins before God. Truth, truth. The Bible tells us the truth, the fact that all of us have sin. None of us are righteous. We all need Jesus. We all need forgiveness from our sins. We all need deliverance from our sins. No matter what 
our sin orientation is. It's in the human heart. Now, if we can begin with the truth, with the truth of who we are, then we can fight the true battle. If we don't, then the battle's already lost. And we have the truth as relative, that I have my truth, I have your truth, all those things. It's not PC to say I'm, I'm right and you're wrong. The, you can't have two irreconcilable truths and both be wrong. Somebody's wrong, somebody's right. And sometimes when you stand on truth that you know to be true, you're accused of hate speech because you believe something. It's insidious. And so when you're asked about truth, you're, you're hesitant to say it because you're going to be accused of something. Well, we've got to start with truth. Truth. Truth is found in, in the Bible, the Word of God. There's absolute truth, the Word of the God. There's right and wrong. There are standards of relationship behavior. We spent four months on the, first, on the Ten Commandments, God's top ten, to talk about relational parameters that God created. God created these parameters. How do we relate to God? How do we relate to fellow human beings? That was God's creation, and that's truth. Now, we will have no way to hold our armor on if we reject truth. Okay, armor is just going to fall off. Start. It's the belt. It's the belt of truth. Every day. Truth. The second piece of armor is called righteousness. Righteousness. This is like our flak vest. Okay, it's like a flak vest that you put on. It's our breastplate, a bulletproof vest. Now, righteousness means right relationship with God. Now, there are two dimensions of, of righteousness that I just want to talk about. The first one is righteousness of Jesus upon salvation. The righteousness of Jesus upon salvation. Okay? When, when we come to God and we confess our sins, ask Jesus to forgive our sins, and we accept his sacrifice as the only way to pay for our sins, and we believe and we place our trust in Jesus... And his work alone, we ask him to take charge. We become believers. We become Christians. We are born again. And the Bible says, when you do that, you are justified. And justified is a legal term. It's legal, and it means not guilty. Okay? Not guilty. So you are justified. Then you are righteous before God. Okay? So when we come to God with our sin orientation and all the things that we've done in the past, we confess them, we ask them to forgive them, to forgive us and to ask them to come in and take charge of our life. We are now righteous before God. We're clothed in his righteousness. He declares us justified, not guilty. It's a legal term. And this righteousness is available to anyone and everyone. It's not on the basis of what we have done or not done. There's no, there's no sin that we could have committed in the past that will disqualify you. Some people are afraid that there's the one thing that they did that they can't forgive themselves for or someone else can't forgive them for that God will never forgive them for. No, God forgives every sin if we confess it and are sorry and turn away. No guilt, justified. That is part of our breastplate, our protection in war. Then there's holy living now. Holy living now. What does that mean? If we want to leave a gaping hole in our armor, then neglect righteous living now. Now, holiness is not 
external, it's internal. It's a state of the heart. We can't measure it by what we see. A lot of times, and in legalistic church circles, if you grew up in a church circle or you grew up in a religious type of community, it's, it's I'm good but because of what I don't do. I don't do this, I don't do that, and I'm better than you because I don't do more things than you don't do. And we measure, measure how righteous or how holy we are by what we don't do. That's not what it's about. That's like saying, I'm a great husband because I don't cheat on my wife. Well, it's a lot more than what I don't do. Is that our standard? Some have an attitude, how much can I get away with and still be a Christian? Okay, how much can I get away with? We don't practice that in marriage. How much can I do and still stay married? No, that's not how we approach it. The goal of the marriage relationship is to see how close we can grow to our spouse, how much we can please our spouse. It's not how much can I get away with and still be a Christian, but it's how close can I get to God? How close can I get to God? Righteousness is right relationship with God. And it's this internal faith and purity and rightness before God that we practice. If you're not sure what it is, it's all in the Bible. Holiness now. So it's not only that initial relationship with God that forgave all our sins, it's living in righteousness now. The word used is sanctification, but we don't want to get into that today. Then, the, then we have an offensive weapon. You're in the struggle. Letter C, it's the gospel of peace. The gospel of peace. It's an offense. It's a, these are our Reeboks, okay? Getting ready for run, ready for action. Th- this is sharing the gospel, the good news of Jesus. Someone said the best defense is a good offense. And when people embrace the Christian faith, receive Jesus, their hearts are changed, whole families change, whole cities change, whole cultures change. And if we want to see change, it's the gospel, the good news of Jesus, that this forgiveness and this relationship with God through Jesus is for everybody, for everybody, that Jesus forgives sins. He died for you. He loves you. He has a great plan for you. That's, that's our, our gospel, the gospel of peace. There have been historic revivals or, or renewals throughout history, and, and one of them is the Welsh revival that happened back in, in Wales. And the question is, how did the community rid itself of gambling dens and houses of prostitution and alcoholism? It's because they gave the people the good news of Jesus Christ. And so many people came to Jesus Christ that there was no market left for any of that. Nobody, there's no market left. The gospel, the good news. Now we think of the problem of sex trafficking in our, in our world today. We think of Eastern Europe, Asia, India, Thailand as a center of sex trafficking in the world. And sex trafficking is a huge issue in those parts of the world. But studies have shown that now that the, the place where sex trafficking is the most prevalent and widespread is in the United States of America. Shock. Are we a Christian nation? Why? Why? It's the largest and richest market. It's fed by pornography. It's fed by illicit stuff on the internet. So many people have access and sucked into that. And it's in every community, every community in America. Underage sex trafficking is especially prevalent in our 
public high schools and even junior high schools. Teachers today are being trained on how to spot sex trafficking in their school. Is the answer law enforcement? I, I hope that's the beginning. But the real answer lies in the gospel of Jesus taking hold of the lives of people who are in need of life change. That their hearts and lives are changed so they don't participate in illicit sex trafficking anymore. There'd be no market left. No market. As long as there are customers, as long as there's money to be made, there'll be a market. How do we change that? You can pass laws, you can enforce laws, you can send people to prison, you can do all kinds of things. But the hearts need to be changed. The gospel of peace. We have that gospel, the good news. That's what we have. That's our weapon to make changes. Because as people come to Christ, they come into the kingdom of God. Our battle is in the spiritual realm. That's why the church is the answer, not the government. The church is the answer, not the government. Fourth, there's a shield called faith. It says, take up the shield of faith. It's an action we take again. Now, it says shield, the shield is faith. Why is faith so powerful? I mean, flaming arrows come at us all the time. But instead of looking at the flaming arrows, instead of looking at the enemy, instead of looking at our own ability to fight these flaming arrows, faith is looking at God. Faith is looking at God. So powerful and caring. He's our defender. Faith is looking at God. It's reliance on God. Jehoshaphat, we looked at this several weeks ago, when he was surrounded by many enemies, he said, I don't know what to do. He's surrounded. He says, I don't know what to do. He said, my eyes are on you. My eyes are on you. Shields is faith. What's, what's the function of faith? What's the function of faith? It says, faith will extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Faith will extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. I don't know how many of you ever saw the movie Gladiator. The Gladiator. See the movie Gladiator. One of the most memorable scenes that I remember at the very beginning was at the opening battle scene in which the archers dipped their arrows in a flaming trench. You remember that. Lighting their arrows on fire and putting it up and shooting him to the enemy. Flaming arrows come in their direction. That's the context in which this was written. Flaming arrows. And I can just picture as those flaming arrows come at us, a, a, a supernatural shield of faith, a vapor barrier. And as the arrows path, pass through that barrier, they're extinguished. And they fall harmlessly to the ground. That's what faith does. Doesn't guarantee we won't have arrows shot at us, but you look to God. That vapor barrier of faith will extinguish, it says it will extinguish the arrows. You will not be harmed. That's faith. That's a defensive weapon. You won't get burned. How many times has Satan tried to set your house or your life on fire? Take up the shield of faith. Look to God. Look to God. Letter E is salvation, which is a helmet. Helmet. Take it and receive it. This is, salvation is the certainty of relationship with God through Jesus. It's the certainty of a relationship with God through Jesus. Without salvation and assurance that we have salvation, we can't stand before the enemy. We can't stand before the enemy unless we have that certainty of salvation. 
Now, if I asked you a question tonight, today, and just think about this. If you died tonight, do you know for sure that you would go to heaven? Okay? If you died tonight, do you know for sure that you would go to heaven? What, what's your reply? I, I hope so, or I think so. Or, or suppose you did die tonight, and you stood before God, and he asked you, why should I let you in my heaven? What would you say? What would you say? Some people don't know. And we can know. This is our helmet. Absolute assurance of salvation. 1 John 5, 11 to 13 says, And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. He who has the Son, Jesus, has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. I've talked to people all my life that just say, well, I, I don't know where I'm going. I don't, I don't know. Well, we can know. If you've received Jesus Christ, he who has the Son has the life. He says, I've written this so that you may know. That's, that's no beyond a shadow of doubt. You know that you have eternal life. And if you have that assurance, you've got that helmet of salvation. Then you have letter F, the, the word of God, the sword. We begin with truth and we kind of end with truth here. Another offensive weapon. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and intentions of the heart. 2 Timothy 2.15, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed, who accurately handles the word of truth. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All Scripture, all Scripture, all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God, person of God, may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Jesus quoted Scripture when he was tempted by the devil. He used it. The Word of God. Powerful. Quote it. Memorize it. Learn it, use it. And letter G, finally, the final weapon is prayer. In verse 18, Paul says, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Prayer. Prayer. The ultimate weapon that God has given us. Prayer. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5, in the New Living Translation, I put it up on here. It's a little bit different, but it really helps. It says, we are human, but we don't wage war with human plans and methods. We use God's mighty weapons, not mere worldly weapons, to knock down the devil's strongholds. With these weapons, we break down every proud argument that keeps people from knowing God. With these weapons, we conquer their rebellious ideas and teach them to obey Christ. I trust that this sermon series has given you new awareness, 
new confidence. I hope it has changed your life like it's changed mine. Because we are in a war for the soul of this nation. And it is a battle in the spiritual. It's in the heavenlies. And we must recognize people are not the enemy. Satan is our enemy. And what can we learn day in and day out? We keep thinking, and we learn all the time, and hear it all the time, that there are a lot of answers to mankind's solutions. It's the economy, economic growth. It's capitalism, socialism. It's a particular form of government, or it's government. And if we could just get enough people in the government that believe like we do and believe in Jesus, if we can just get enough people in the government that follow Jesus, then we can change the world. Why didn't Jesus think of that? You know why he didn't do that? Because government is not the answer. The church, the church is the answer. Jesus set up the church. Now, scary at times because we're not very perfect. <laughs> we're not very good at times. Sometimes we don't do really well. But he bought the salvation for believers and put them in communities called churches, local churches, churches around the world, everywhere. We're one of those. We're not the only one but we are part of the church and the church is the change agent for the world. It's you. It's me. We must take that responsibility and mantle and say it's up to us. And you look around the world, there's a lot of messed up things going on. It's up to the church. It's up to the church. And the battle is in the heavenlies, in the spiritual. And God has called us to fight the war. Let's pray. Father, I just pray today that you would call us in a new way to do battle. And I pray, Lord Jesus, today that you would speak to our hearts and that we can make a, a stand together as a church to make a difference in our communities, in our families. I'm going to do something different today. I'm going to open the front of the church altar. You've heard the, the messages. You've heard the responsibility. And if you're willing to take that on, I'm just going to ask you to come up. Nothing dramatic, nothing emotional. Just come up and just stand. Let's stand up here. If you're answering the call to do battle in the spiritual realm, whatever that means. And we're going to sing Raise a Hallelujah, which is a song of worship and praise, which is one of our battle cries.
And as we do that, I just want to invite those of you that want to commit to that, maybe everybody, maybe somebody, I don't know. Just come. Thank you. You're already coming. Yep. Let's stand together. As the worship team leads us, if you want to commit to that battle, you come and just stand up front. Let's just stand.